0: Welcome everyone back to another episode of the Team Blaney Podcast. My name is Adam Rogers and alongside me is co-host Steve Mez. The Team Blaney podcast is brought to you by fans for fans. Steve and I have been diehard followers of the Blaney racing family for two decades. Today, we closely follow third-generation driver Ryan Blaney, who pilots the number 12 Ford Mustang for Team Penske on the NASCAR Cup Series circuit. Each week on the podcast, we will review Ryan's latest NASCAR race and then preview the race for the upcoming weekend, offering news, notes, statistics, and analysis. Steve, they were turning left and right and left and right and left and right and left and right and left and left and and right on the 20 turn circuit of america's course in austin texas over the weekend and like we talked about in the last episode of the team lady podcast the weather was a factor all the way throughout the weekend between the practice sessions qualifying the truck race the xfinity race and then the cup race was pretty much damp to wet to monsoon what what did you come away with uh this after this weekend in austin texas
1: you, you're the one that told me it only rains there like 45 50 days a year or something like that and of course that whole weekend was nothing but that uh, bad conditions um, you know what's interesting is is I've had some some discussions with people in the days afterward um, and they did not mind the, the the racing in the in the wet conditions it was just when it got to be a downpour and nobody could see that it was bad and the other thing that was that people thought is that the racing in the wet conditions was actually a great equalizer for a lot of the teams too where it kind of equaled some teams out and gave some teams um a better chance at a better finish and the some of the stuff is proven out by that that if, if it would have been a dry track at a dry weekend um you may not have seen a ross chastain up in the top five or an a, even though aj omendinger is a road course ringer he may not have made that top five either because uh uh, more guys were making more mistakes basically in the rain or slipping and sliding in the rain um and once again it got dangerous and that that was the thing that kind of ruined the whole weekend is that uh nascar recognized the danger but i think they recognized it a little bit too late for some of the uh, people involved
0: yeah that was one of the one of the main things that this weekend kind of proved was that, and we've seen some Cup, we see some Xfinity races in the rain or damp conditions. We saw the uh, Xfinity race run at the Roval in pretty wet, uh, rainy, heavy rain conditions, and that one, that was probably one of those ones that was borderline dangerous too at some point. But uh, we hadn't really seen the Cup race, uh, Cup race in the rain. I think they've practiced in the rain in the past, but this what kind of proved was that those tires that Goodyear was bringing to the racetrack were working really, really well, especially when it's just kind of in that damp to slightly wet condition. The biggest factor in this race that made it dangerous at points was just kind of those, what'd you call them? Like rooster tails coming off the car when, Mm -hmm. you know, they're going 180 miles per hour. I think maybe 150 because they had to slow it down a little bit in the rain down that, uh, what is between turns 10 and 11 or 11 11, and 12 back there
1: from 11 down to 12. Yeah. And and that was the other thing I was going to say is that, you know, this track as compared to other road courses, um, not all those road courses have that kind of thing. Um, the technical parts of this track, some of the Formula One guys say it's one of the more technical tracks they drive all year long, and it's because it does all those different things, elevation changes, lefts and rights, back and forth, but it does have that straightaway, it's got a little kink in it or whatever, but under dry conditions, they would have normally went down into turn 12 at about 180 miles an hour and then and did a heavy braking, And like you said, it was about 150 in the rain, but literally once it got the rooster tails on the backs of those cars, even though there's that flashing red light in the back of the cars, you lost sight of the guy in front of you. And and that's, that's where the trouble started and not every track has that. So, I mean, they might go to Sonoma or, or, or Road America and, um, those tracks maybe don't have those kind of straightaways. So it's one of those things that they learned about on the fly, unfortunately. Um, you know, hopefully they give it one more shot and watch, it'll be totally dry if they do.
0: Yeah. We talked about that last week, I think leading into it, we talked about the potential of there being weather that I was just overall disappointed that here was another weekend, just like leading into that Bristol weekend. That was one of those dates that everyone had circled on their schedule. That could have been a big TV audience, you know, fan moment for NASCAR was going to be impacted heavily by weather. Um, if, like you said, it was just damp, everything probably would have been fantastic. And while it was just damp, the racing was pretty good. But the fact that it just kind of rained and it kept pummeling them, and then by the end of that race when NASCAR eventually called it, um, it was an all-out downpour, at least according to a lot of the fans that were there. You couldn't really see that well on TV. But um, I was just kind of sad for NASCAR that, you know, kind of missing another thing that could have been a marquee moment for them. And we are kind of just... Uh, weren't able to see that so hopefully this will be on the schedule again for next season they'll get another chance to go down there and uh get to texas at one of those times where yeah I, I, looking up a stat or something that's you know 300 days out of the year it doesn't rain in texas yet the last two times we've been to that state uh you know we had a what a two or three or four day delay at texas motor speedway last year and then we come down here and it rains for three straight days at coda so Um, one thing that we did get to look forward to this weekend was they had practice, they had qualifying and they had a race on a road course. So we have plenty to talk about as we go through Ryan Blaney's race review of the Echo Park, Texas Grand Prix. Ryan Blaney race recap circuit of the Americas.
1: Yeah. I started out with uh, Saturday's practice. I started taking just a couple notes here and there just to kind of get an idea of uh, what they were going to do for the qualifying. Um, and it started out practice with uh, some wet conditions. And, uh, by about halfway into it, Ryan had run about six laps and it was three, about three seconds back of, uh, Larson who was leading at that point in the practice. Um, and that was good for 11th fastest. Um, the rain actually started to slow down as the practice went on. And with about 15, yeah, you know, about 15 minutes to go, uh, Ryan ran out there to get some more laps and, um, he cut it down to about 1.7 seconds back, which would have been good enough for, uh, position nine at that point in the practice. Ryan ran about, let's see here, I got about 11 laps, 13 laps, um, 13 laps, and his fastest was lap 11. And uh, Byron, of course, was the fastest in practice, and Logano was second fast. So, um, you know, when the conditions were semi-dry, the really good cars pretty much made their way to the front.
0: And one thing to mention about this practice session was the fact that they were still teching several cars when the 50 minutes opened and unfortunately with how tight the window was on saturday they really couldn't extend practice so there were guys like aj allmendinger in that college racing car that were still waiting and waiting and waiting and i think he was actually by the end of it only able to go out for a handful of laps maybe two or three and he was lucky to even get that opportunity so it kind of felt bad for them um and obviously this the practice was mostly in dry conditions so I don't know how much it ended up translating to the race when they, you know, they started the race with rain tires for about two seconds until most of the field. Well, we'll get into that when we get into the the the, the full race review part. But I don't know how much translated from from that practice to the next day. But they did maybe get to some guys get a chance to learn the course. Where Almondinger is one of these guys who you know is a road course racer, but he said going into it he actually didn't have that many laps at coda there's plenty of other drivers that have gone down there Ryan included and, and run at least some street cars or sports cars and other things just to get used to it beyond that all they know is simulator uh which a lot of them hit that pretty hard as well so it was—I don't know. For me, it was interesting. I was excited to see practice. I, you know, woke up super early, got all my chores done for <laughs> Saturday morning, just so I could spend the rest of the day watching the practices and watching the qualifying for all of the three NASCAR series. It was exciting. It was an exciting two days for me um, until we maybe got to the end of the Cup race.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, Sunday uh, qualifying—they uh, did the two two uh, sessions. You know, they did the first session, then take the top twelve to go for the pole in the second session, and. Uh, He went out early and ran a lap that actually put him like 23rd so right at the end of the session they go ahead and go out there and run that second lap it popped him up at the end of the session there to 11th yeah i know
0: immediately i was like when when he he went out and did that first first qualifying attempt i was just like oh uh, okay i uh okay (laughs) <laughs> and just wasn't sure And i i thought that was it and then yeah like you said luckily they get back out there again and, and get bump their way back up into the top 12 to get another chance in the final round
1: yeah it was interesting is that uh at that point it was only um point uh point nine just less than a second off the lead too in 11th and that's uh you know that's pretty tight for running uh however many it was a three whatever miles around that around those 20 turns um That tells you a lot about the the quality of the drivers uh, handling all the the whole course.
0: My other concern too was the fact that some of these other guys that were up into the top parts of the top 12 only had to run one lap to get there and Ryan had to go back out that second time. So, you know, even just a little bit of wear on tires can affect things a little bit, but it wasn't, didn't turn out too bad.
1: So uh, they they do the second round and basically that second round is short where everybody's only going to get one lap anyway. Um, you know, Reddick gets the pole and Ryan gets to ninth at 1.67 seconds back. So that, that second lap, like you said, it was a third lap for him, um, in that second, in, in the second round there. And, uh, of course it did with the tires and everything. We didn't really get a chance to cool them off or anything like that. So, Cedric uh, ended up third though. And, uh, Joey ended up sixth. Uh, so they, uh, most of the Penske guys did a really good job in the qualifying to get into the top 12 um actually ryan kind of apologized after the lap so he thinks he bobbled something somewhere um but uh, todd tells him he did a really good job for his limited uh, practice time they had there you know in the dry conditions because they really didn't have much practice time in dry conditions um so uh, the pit selection um was done ahead of time and uh, he had the 51 in front of him and there was going to be an opening behind him so for the pits itself it was going to be in good shape too um for the start of the race um so that was in the morning sunday morning and then we get to sunday afternoon for the race itself and the stages are going to be 15 uh th- for the second stage be 32 and then 68 laps to run the race 231 miles
0: very long track at this point it's the longest road course that the cup series has been on until later this year and it was one of those things my wife had said when she's you know they're saying how how long the stages were she was like why is it so why aren't there why is there so few laps and i was just explaining i'm like well you know they're on a more than three mile course and she was just kind of surprised by that and i'm like you just wait until uh they get up there to uh, road america and we'll see what a long road course is like Mm -hmm. yeah yeah
1: um so to the rear there were a bunch of uh people who did adjustments after qualifying the 10 car the 11 car 14 15 17 38 43 51 and 99 cars all made adjustments after qualifying and i'm wondering if this is an adjustment that actually got made later on after the race started too for uh well right before the race started for ryan there
0: you know who wasn't on that list this week oh yeah the nine was the nine car you think he would have jumped on that bandwagon (laughs) i kid i kid (laughs)
1: So uh, NASCAR declared it a wet track to start the race. So everybody had their uh, rain tires on before the race started and um, at this point they can pit before the race starts and put on the slicks and not lose their position before the start. And and they come in to do that. Um, I think everybody came in, but they came in and they were going to change to the slicks. Um, And they talk about some sort of adjustment for tape at And then something happens with this adjustment. I guess they're not allowed to adjust the tape or something like that. So So, this becomes an improved adjustment, right?
0: Yeah. And and it sends, unfortunately, it sends the 12th car to the rear of the field. So how excited we were talking about qualifying. They're getting out there. They set that time to start ninth. Um, This ended up being what uh, Todd Gordon really, the grinds crew chief, really shouldered the blame on this one. So they came in. They were allowed to change tires. And NASCAR said, that's it. That's the only thing you're allowed to touch on the car. No fuel, nothing else. But they, the crew, reached down there. They took some tape off the front of the car, and what Todd explained was that that when they're expecting all of this wet weather, and he said he had, you know, been watching radar like crazy. It looked like it was going going to rain, but obviously, when they got out there for the pace laps, the rain kind of dissipated. And he had left all the tape uh, up on the front of the grill. And some of that tape, I guess, has something to do with the brake system. So the tape that they pulled off was what was protecting the the brakes in the front. And he had said that if they would have left that tape on, there was a really good chance that they would have burnt their brakes up even out there um, in the first few laps of the race. So they decided to make the move, take that tape off. I don't think that he really realized at the time that it was going to necessarily be a penalty. Um like it I catches, said, he,
1: yeah. It catches them and the two cars. So yep. there, there were two, at least those two cars done had done that. And I'm starting to wonder now, because they really didn't read through, but all these cars that had the unapproved adjustments ahead of time, I'm wondering if they didn't do the same thing before the race even started.
0: Yeah. That I'm not, I know some of those were transmission changes and various other things, but yeah, I'm not 100% sure what all of their unapproved things were, but Todd kind of seemed like he thought if he would have done it on the you know, on pit road, like taking tape off wouldn't been that big of a deal before they went out for their pace laps. But the fact that they did it after the car was already out on track and and making some laps was the fact that at that point it, it becomes unapproved. He, you know, he said he, you know, felt obviously terrible for that. Apologized to Ryan uh, about you know having them go to the back of the pack because of this this adjustment and this rules violation. So, um, but from that point on, I mean, they really just kind of had to to move forward and get over it and continue on with their race and try to battle the best they could.
1: It, it basically puts them into some alternative strategies too, which, you know, as the race goes, really started to work out. Um, so Cindric Cindric actually took the lead in, in the turn one there on the actual initial start of the race and did a pretty good job for a little while. Um, and at the end of lap one, Ryan did, uh, go ahead and come in and pit and get the wet tires on. Um, so at lap three he's 37th and you know and and the temperatures haven't come down yet so there there was a thing with the temperatures that they did adjust on and get 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 them in a normal range later on
0: and that's a thing to mention with cindric is the fact that and you might mention this anyway that he stayed out there for what four or five laps on his slicks mm-hmm. and you know jeff gordon and and boyer and the, them in the booth were just completely impressed at the fact that uh, this kid's able to handle a race car like that under those conditions. And he was slipping and sliding around, but was running probably faster laps than than anybody else. And he actually came on the radio and said he didn't he thought everything he's like, you know, this is going OK. I don't think we need to change anything. But I think that the crew got the better of him and eventually came down pit road.
1: Well, I I know that listening to a podcast last year that he has raced all over the world, literally, and one of the things he did was ice racing in like Norway or something like that years ago. So for him, that's probably all it was, was he's, he's got a certain amount of car control, knows how to do it on something slick, and, and that's all he did with it. Um, by uh, lap five, uh, Ryan gets up to 31st, and lap six he's the 30th, and they're pretty quiet on the radio because it's just trying to pick one after another off. At lap seven, there is a caution for the 99 car, and Ryan's up to 29th. Uh, They come in, they pit, uh, they do huge four rounds on the track bar, four rounds up on the track bar and the tires. Um, They go in 29th, but out 36th. I think there was a little bit of a bobble there, too, or maybe some alternate strategies where some guys didn't take four tires or something.
0: Might have been those four rounds that they're trying to wrench into the back of that, <laughs> into the back of that window. Might have slowed that stop down a little bit.
1: Yeah, that's something you don't an adjustment you really don't hear much about um, most of the time during most of the year. But I guess it's something on a road course that is might be necessary. Um, but on lap ten, he goes from thirty six to thirty first in one lap. You know, and the next lap up to twenty eighth, and then the lap twelve twenty fourth. So, you know, at this point, some of the cars are starting to pit. Uh, trying to pit before the end of the stage, kind of a thing. Uh, 21st uh, place by lap 13, 19th by lap 15. Uh, Logano wins that stage, and uh, Ryan ends up 16th. So they've already battled their way forward and uh, got themselves into a place where it's kind of equaled out with everybody at the end of the stage now. And uh, it looks like they're moving forward. You know, weather-wise, they're handling the weather fine. Um, Brian saying at this point that he can't really get anywhere, but, um, Todd says, we're going to try and get you some track position here. So, (laughs) you know, I think he's going to leave them out on the, on the set of pit stops here. Um, there were three spotters, uh, you know, um, if you saw a picture, Josh posted a picture too, and he sent me a picture even that I posted where he was up in turn one and he could catch everything coming up the hill and then turn one going off toward, like 11 down because it went downhill and it goes to the right so he had pretty good view of that but they had to use three spotters uh one of the two spotters i know was mule i'm not sure the other gentleman's name um and one of them said something to ryan about i can't see you because of the rooster tails and ryan says well i can't see bleep either so uh we've got that in common you know which was kind of funny but you know So, Todd, uh, go ahead. It
0: was a bit of an omen for what was about to happen later throughout this race, not just for Ryan, but for several guys.
1: Yeah. Um, Todd, of course, says we're staying out, and they end up being uh, 11th by staying out. So they did gain some spots, and there's 20 cars that stayed out. So he's got nine-car buffer behind him, too, uh, which is pretty good. Uh, Lap 18 is where it all happens. Now, initially, the first thing they cover was Ryan getting hit. Um. and what it actually was was actually the first thing that happened was harvick getting hit by wallace and then i believe ryan's was sort of a reaction to what was going on around him and then the 20 car not seeing any of it either so we had two of those basically on that backstretch between turn 11 and look, turns 12 and what's horrible about that is that area if the conditions were dry, it would have been the area where you would have seen more of the passing during the day. You'd have seen guys coming out of 11, being able to pick up the throttle better than other guys, and making that pass 100 and miles an hour down that straightaway. Instead, what we got is the heavier the rain got, nobody could see the, the back of the car in front of them, even though they got that red flashing light, because the rooster tails were coming up so bad off the back of the cars. And um, basically, at this point, they've got four cars that just luckily Ryan's car was repairable at this point but four cars torn up and I, I don't even know did the 20 car go on after that
0: he did not um and i know he was he was pretty disappointed which obviously you would be too since he was the winner on the road course at daytona but yeah you going through that whole sequence you just see i think what they should a clip of ryan spinning around and correcting the car and then continuing on and then the next clip that you see is ryan moving forward and then you just see the 20 car kind of and the rain is coming down and there, the water's coming off the back of the cars and then you see the 20 car kind of come into the screen with the front end just destroyed and um on Twitter, I'm you know I'm asking you, I'm like, is it bad? Did you did you hear anything? Is it bad? I'm looking on Twitter and they're saying, you know, even the Team Penske Twitter account saying heavy damage to the 12 car. And I was just like, ugh, you know, this is just unfortunate. They ended up starting in the back, you know, run racing in the middle of the pack, that kind of stuff. And this is what happens sometimes. But I don't even think that was necessarily the situation. I think in this case, Brian was slowing down because of what was happening in front of him. And you got run into, and you're going to see that happen a couple of other times throughout this race. So, um, yeah. definitely an unfortunate situation. But um, they were—you'll probably continue on here, able to kind of get the repairs made that they needed to get done to, you know, keep battling the rest of the day.
1: Yeah, yeah. They uh, they come in uh, lap—it's lap twenty. They come in to fix all the damage. Uh, ends up thirty-six, but they do end up fixing all the damage. You know, a couple stops catching up with the field and it was pretty much cosmetic, so um, by lap 21, he's 34th, and they um, they pit for uh, fuel and four rounds up on the track bar again, so they went eight rounds up on the track bar and a couple pit stops there, but by lap 25, he's up to 30th. Um, Ryan says uh, there's another explicit, uh, you know, another swear word in there, but uh, basically that you can't see anything on the back stretch. And so, you know, the reports are still coming in lap 25 after it already happened five laps earlier. Um, And that's when uh, the caution happens for the 41, the 19, and uh, the 34, which, once again, the coverage was kind of just, just jointed on that, where you saw the 19 getting hit by the 41, the 41 going into the wall. But what actually happened is the 19 hit the 34 first. So the 34 had slowed down, and the 19 didn't see him, and then of course the 19 had to, was definitely going to slow down because he made that hit, and the 41 didn't see him.
0: And that's just the scary thing that you saw happening because I think you even saw it a little bit live as you see the you know Truex slowing down, and you just see Custer hanging out on the on the inside there going full speed while everyone else is slowing down, and again you can't. I don't necessarily fault them. I don't know what the spotter situation was. Maybe Josh could give us a better idea of what you, the sight lines were at that point for different guys. But, you know, he's going full speed and you just could see it coming. And then the scary part, too, is the way that Custer's car hits the wall on the inside at a part that kind of juts out a little bit at an angle. I don't think it had a safer barrier on it, but it did have some sort of a foam barrier on that wall that, you know, lessened that blow a little bit. But then. You're watching, and then the car explodes, you know, I mean, the, into a fireball. So that's another just, like, gasp moment. You know, he's already had this huge impact. Then the fire comes out, and then you're just sitting there going, get out of the car, get out of the car, Cole. Um, I think he hit the extinguisher button, which that's one thing that, you, that you'll that you see sometimes is, you know, there'll be that big fireball, and then you'll see it kind of dissipate real fast. And from what I understand, the one, the driver has to be alert in order to push that button to make sure the extinguisher goes. So anytime when you see the fire just continue, maybe it's failed or maybe, you know, the driver's knocked out a little bit. So it was good when the fire went away, he gets out, but even then, from there, it's like more gasp, you know, moments because here comes Stenhouse in the 47 car. Probably can't see that well still. You see him swerve out of the way, and then I, I think it maybe looked closer than it appeared. But when you know the AMR safety truck is coming flying down to Custer's car, it looks like he's coming right at him, and I was like, ah! So it's just like a, you know, an anxious moment where you don't know what's happening. But um, thankfully, you know, both guys were okay. Um, And this is, you know, the moment uh, when, you know, some of the NASCAR officials, Steve Miller and them have been on with the media since then where they said, you know, maybe we should have stopped the race earlier, which I think after this is when they decide to finally get like the air titans or get their, their track crew out there to get some of that standing water off that, you know, that long straightaway because it was just creating treacherous conditions for the drivers and. They were lucky that you know Custer was able to walk away from that crash, and the same with Truex getting flipped, almost flipped up into the air. So,
1: yeah, they um they do the red flag and they bring out the 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 jet dryers and dry the back stretch up a little bit. And they don't have to get it totally dry, but they do push all that water off of there so it doesn't do that. Now, if they would have done it earlier, how long would it have lasted? That's the thing: is the rain was still coming down? Was it coming down so hard that it would have just kept doing it? And that's what ends up happening later on: is it ends up yeah, they do dry it here, but then later on it does start doing that where it rooster tails again. Uh, the word on the radios by a couple of different people is just the word ridiculous. They just kind of keep saying this is ridiculous or this you know got ridiculous. Um, Ryan is twenty fifth at this point, and they do let them down pit road with uh, a couple guys over the wall to clean the windshields basically during this. Um, uh, lap twenty six, pit road's open. They're going to stay out, and and they uh, also institute the single file restart at this point, which. They had done at Bristol, and it was a good idea at this point just to kind of like keep them from being on top of each other right away, you know. And um by lap twenty-seven, he's up to 22nd for the restart itself. And by lap twenty-ninth, he's sixteenth. By lap thirtieth, he's fourteenth. Uh he loses one spot to the twenty-two at lap thirty-one, he's fifteenth. At the end of the stage, um, uh, Kyle Bush does win the stage. Um but there was some sort of damage in the last few turns to the right front of Ryan, and, and I'm not exactly sure who he hit or who he got next to. But
0: there were points when you got to see a little bit of this battle. You know, when he kind of started slipping back a little bit, um, he was in the middle of three at one point. I think during this, going through one of the turns, and I think this is where this damage comes from. But yeah, he just kind of slowly started fading a little bit gets around to like a bunch of guys who are also trying to fight for position at the end of a stage so it was just kind of uh, once again you're kind of just stuck back in the middle of the pack there at a road course with some tight turns and drivers that aren't necessarily used to how to maneuver through all of them and maybe also have some damage and aren't really concerned about damaging their cars that much further and just yeah. ends up a little bit more battle scarred in the process
1: yeah they end up nineteenth to finish the stage, but they talk basically the whole time during the during this caution about how much damage is it who got a better look at it can you see it does somebody have a picture let's see a picture and uh, they decide to stay out the strategy here is to get to the pit window get to the pit window and then go to the end of the race so um they they kind of think it's going to rub if they put a load on it but with the rain tires it's a little bit different type of uh, load and plus they're not doing quite the same speeds they would with the slicks so um, he's 14th for the restart and uh he gets to 13th and uh once again he's a, he's loses a spot or two by lap, uh, 38, he's 17th. So he does lose a little bit here, staying out. Um, you know, some of the cars that got better tires are, are making a pass or two. Um, at lap 41, Todd tells me he'd like to get about eight more laps to get inside the window. Um, and then some of the leaders actually begin to pit, uh, but, uh, Brian says he's holding everybody up uh, and he's plowing tight at lap 42, but he's up to 14th. So he's really not not doing too bad staying with those guys. Um, and they tell him you're doing pretty good because a lot of the guys, you know, are, have gotten tires already. And, and basically once you go ahead and pit, you're going to be in good shape. Uh, but lap 43, they tell him go ahead and pit the next lap. At lap 44, uh, there's four tires, fuel, and they basically pop out the damage real quick to make sure it's it isn't tire rub um and at lap 46 he's 27th with all this pitting and the 42 leads because he hasn't pitted yet Uh, and it's funny is on tv they show the, the 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 uh the fastest lap that lap lap 46 and ryan is the is the fifth fastest lap of all the guys that ran that lap so um you know under good conditions and, and, and under, you know, without as many goofy things happening, who knows what kind of race it could have been for him.
0: Yeah. I definitely noticed that too. And I was like, wow, man, that's, that's kind of crazy. He got run into the back of, he got more damage in this race and yet somehow this kid's able to keep turning pretty fairly quick laps under the conditions that they're under. So I was impressed. Um, I was a little concerned because I wasn't totally sure where, he was going to shake out in this thing. I think this is at this point where you're, you know, tech talking to me and you're like, I guess it seems like a top 20. And I'm like, I don't know. I think a lot more guys might run out of fuel here. or have to pit for fuel, including the, you know, the eventual leader, Chase Elliott uh, was going to be short on fuel.
1: Yeah. lap, Lap 47. He's up to 25th at lap 50, 22nd. And Ryan tells him that everybody's pretty much hydroplaning everywhere right now. So you know, the rain is starting to pick up, obviously. Lap 51, he's 21st and the nine uh, leads, but they, they tell the nine he's probably short. So uh, they're hoping for a caution for the nine. Uh, lap 52, he's up to 19th. Uh, the, this is where the one goes off-roading. Uh, the t v coverage of this was really great because he kind of slipped behind his brother, and then who was the other car there that uh, gave him a break um, yeah i'm
0: not not hundred percent sure, but it was a, an amazing move because I think he kept on the gas through the stones mm-hmm. and then does like a pretty sweet u turn he found uh, the grass, <laughs> grass. yeah
1: found the grass so that he had some sort of grip because the stones don't have any grip at all. Mm-hmm. And then he found his way around the grass and got himself back onto the track without causing a caution.
0: It was amazing. It almost reminded me of like a slow speed chase (laughs) because they're just kind of following his moves as he maneuvers around through these, you know, this gravel trap. I think he did have to skirt back over just a little bit of gravel to get back out onto the track again, which he threw out all over the place, which Mm -hmm. Ryan Newman kind of skirted through the the gravel earlier in the race and threw rocks up all over his windshield, too. So it was Mm -hmm. really, really funny to see. Really kind of amazing that he made it through those two cars with pretty much no brakes, though.
1: Yeah. Um, in the next lap, Ryan gains two more positions, and in lap 53 is up to 17th. So once again, you know, he's, you know, he's pitted. He's inside the window. Let's see how much more slipping and sliding happens. Who knows what kind of positions he can gain, but they do call the caution because it's starting to rain heavily again. We've got the standing water, the backstretch. You know, they talk about getting the air tightens out, the blow to the backstretch off. And they bring it in under a red flag. Um, and it's funny. Um, somebody uh, NASCAR makes it in little announcements. At one point, they say that you get, it's okay to go ahead and cover the cars. And Todd goes, yeah, that, that's a good idea. I really don't want that car getting wet. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. That's, uh, he,
0: that's pretty good.
1: He gets a TV interview before they announce the winner. Which, Which I trying, thought was
0: interesting because it he, wasn't like you know he was lighting up the show, but yeah, they found him and and, and got him to talk, so that was nice. And
1: and he was he it sounded like he was interested in trying to get back out there and see mm-hmm. how many more positions he could get because he he feels in the rain that he's probably better than some of those guys. So
0: and I thought he could have. I don't think we're looking at a top ten necessarily, but I thought we were the way he was slowly kind of gaining positions again. Some of it by people pitting, but um, I thought we were looking at a, at least a solid top fifteen. Did you think at this point that the race was over? I was kind of assuming, um, at that point, I'm like, yeah, they're they're probably done. It's getting late in the day. It doesn't look like the rain's going to stop anytime soon. Um, they didn't seem too quick to get the, the you know the track drying trucks out there. I was like, it seems like they're they're going to throw in the towel.
1: Yeah, that, I think that's what it was. That, that some of the things that had happened with the wrecks that had happened, it kind of probably um, put a, a damper on the idea of trying to keep going. I think there was enough daylight and time where if they wanted to dry that area off again and hope that it lightened up and actually I guess it did kind of lighten up in another hour or so but at this point it it had become a long day and I really don't think they wanted to chance anybody else getting hurt.
0: And if I'm being completely honest I think the winner which obviously is well, if you're going to say it at some point, I don't know if it's stealing any thunder here, was Chase Elliott. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't think it's a spoiler alert for anybody at this point to know that he's the one that won the race. I think that's what was going to happen. I mean, you can say anything could happen. Um, I feel like there might have been a caution, or even if they got back to racing, obviously there would have been a chance for people to pit. I still feel like he would have found a way to cycle through. Um, He's too good at these road courses to not get at least a win here or there. And that's one of those things that I forgot about was... um, i'm always one of those guys that's tallying you know how many wins ryan has versus chase and then thinking you know you know five of chases which maybe it's now six six of chases nascar cup series victories have all come on road courses so that's a big chunk of his wins so but he's also the rating champion and you have to be good on on road courses now uh this in this day and age especially this year with seven of them on the circuit so mm-hmm. yeah, all so- in all yeah i mean it was a I don't even want to call it an up and down day. There wasn't really that many ups uh, for Ryan, but it was just kind of a battle. They were in the thick of things. He had to battle all day long uh, where they were, just because they got behind uh, due to that kind of unfortunate mistake that they had there at the beginning. I think if it was under regular conditions, they probably would have been looking at a lot better, a lot better finish this weekend. So, yeah, yeah could have it been a, worse, I guess.
1: Under dry conditions, the, like I uh, like I said, a couple people I talked to including Josh, you know, under dry conditions, the best cars and best drivers would have been up in the front. So, you know, qualifying showed that. He was a top 10, you know, guy in qualifying. He would have probably been up there most of the day under dry conditions. They might have played a strategy thing or two to put him a little more track position. He would have held off some people. Yeah. It would have been a really, really good day under dry conditions, but you know, maybe next year.
0: Now with that 17th place finish in the, echo park grand prix at circuit of the americas for the nascar cup series ryan has slipped again a little bit in the overall point standings but points wise not necessarily that much when we're talking about how many points out he is from the leader which now is 193 139 points uh, from the leader denny hamlin i think he was at minus 136 last week so he's only lost a couple of points there one thing to note from this race was that he was shut out of stage points essentially the whole way through it's been a long time since you know the first couple races of this season where he hasn't at least finished uh in the top 10 in one of the stages so that was a little bit unfortunate um so slipping just slightly in the point standings but still looking pretty good when it comes to the playoffs and just the overall standings and the overall look at this season
1: and this pops another um another new winner out there too so This takes up another position, another new winner. At some point, some of those guys that have won a race might be in a little bit of a worry uh, at the end of the regular season. I
0: don't know about you, Steve, but I feel like that's all I have to say about that. When it comes to the (laughs) Echo Park Texas Grand Prix at Circuit of the Americas, Ryan Blaney comes home with a 17th place finish on this road course new to the NASCAR Cup Series. And I think we're going to move on now to our next race and our next segment here on the Team Blaney Podcast.
1: Dave Blaney. Maybe another run yet. They'll race this time into three and four and down to the white flag. One to go. It's Sharon for Sheldon Hodgsheld. A little bobble there. Dave Blaney may have a shot. Blaney to the bottom in one and two. Sheldon on the cushion out of turn two for the final time. Sheldon Hodgsheld taps the ball. Blaney gets by to take the lead. In the three and four. Checkered flag will wave. Dave Blaney. Wins and Sharon, his first outlaw win since 1997. <laughs> that was awesome. You
0: heard it here, folks. Not first because we've been all o- over it all weekend on the team Blaney social media accounts. But our man Dave Blaney, the 1995 World of Outlaws champion, scores his first victory. With the world of outlaws at his home track sharon speedway in nearly 24 years exhilarating finish a last lap pass of sheldon hodden shield which there's plenty of times back in the day where blaney was racing a hodden shield in this case it ends up being sheldon uh jack's son so um, really, really exciting finish. Dave comes through, gets the victory. And I don't think I've seen him smile that big since maybe that night when he won that, uh, Bush series race in uh, Charlotte motor speedway. So I don't know what you thought, Steve, but I was pumped all Saturday night going into Sunday morning, the outpouring of support that Dave got from around the NASCAR community to around the sprint car racing community was just amazing to see.
1: The social media end of it was incredible. Like Twitter blew up, he was like a he was trending on Twitter. I was a little mad because i we should have went. My wife yelled at me. we should have went we didn't end up going. And uh, but um, it was it was great to see some of the people on Twitter. Uh, Tr- Chase Elliott, I guess Chase and Ryan and Bill Bill Elliott were all sitting there watching it together. So you know there were just so many great people that chimed in afterward. Some of the video of the post race interviews and stuff like that were just awesome.
0: Yeah, it was really really incredible to see. I know I was at uh, my local dirt track here down in Florida, trying to keep up with updates from throughout the evening. Um, he finished pretty well in his heat, finished pretty well in the dash, ended up setting up for a pretty good start there in the A-Main at Sharon Speedway. And from all of the reports that we were getting, there was like a late caution in the race that kind of bunched things back up again in this World of Outlaws series race. But everyone was saying at this up to this point, Dave was catching Sheldon. So it was only going to be a matter of time, maybe before he was able to, to, to catch up to him in the first place but sheldon bobbled a couple times in this last lap obviously you heard the you know the famous johnny gibson giving that call and you know johnny gibson is already usually pretty pumped on most of his calls but you were saying you know he took it to that next octave you could just hear how excited he was for what was happening in front of him and it was truly a, you know history making moment here for dave blaney to pick up this world of outlaw series victory
1: yeah, what was the gap between his first win and for, and last win in just overall?
0: Yeah, so here's some interesting stats from this victory. He set the record for the longest gap between World of Outlaws series wins, 23 years, seven months, and two days since his last victory in the series, which came at Southern New Mexico Speedway on October 21st, 1997. He also broke the record for the longest gap between his first career victory and his most recent career victory which was 36 years, one month, and 16 days. His first career win with the World of Outlaws came on April 5th, 1985 at Tri-City, Illinois Speedway. Incredible amount of time here. And one thing that I know you want to point out for sure is that Dave Blaney hasn't, not been to victory lane in the sprint car in that time period in that 24 years he has been to victory lane in the sprint car in some fairly big races after you know kind of he paused his his sprint car career to you know do that nascar thing he's won with the all-stars he's won you know the lou blaney memorial a couple of times he's won some big races at port royal he's won down here at my new home track uh, in ocala florida he hasn't been a stranger to sprint car victory lane but he hasn't been uh, there with a world of outlaw sanction event in those you know nearly 24 years
1: and here's another great thing about that car, that car wasn't somebody else's car. That's a car he's built from the ground up. He built his own car, he didn't go somewhere and buy a chassis or put something together that somebody else built. He put that thing together for the ground up, somebody was saying about some unique things about it with the suspension and so on and so forth and uh, you know, he, he, he made it work and that's the best, best thing about it, it's, it's, it's a winning on his own vehicle, his own terms.
0: Yeah. You know that that was really important to him. Looking through some of the post-race reports, here's a quote directly from Dave. This is such a proud moment for us. This is a car we built ourselves and we just beat the outlaws. Holy crap. It's a dream come true and it happened at my home track. That was yeah. straight from Dave Blaney after he picked up that victory. Just an incredible run. He's 58 years old. He Just came just shy of another record there. So at 58 years, six months, and 29 days, that's where Dave was at. The record still belongs to Sammy Swindell, who won in 2014 at 58 years, two months, and 16 days. Just just about two months shy of actually setting that other record for being the oldest driver to ever win a World of Outlaws race. I really, really like when we're able to talk about Dave on this podcast. This was only his second. Sprint car race of the 2021 season so far. He's mentioned, you know, in his interviews after this one that he's not done yet, (laughs) Um, but he still plans on racing this year. And then one more stat just to give out that was his 95th career victory the world of outlaws and it came at his home track sharon speedway that he also part owns really really incredible i don't know i was pumped i spent you know my whole half of my childhood at sharon Mm uh watching races there working there and and officiating races there it just makes me homesick for one i like i said i was been lucky enough to see him win the lou blaney memorial some other big races like you man i if if it was me i would have been there so i don't know what you were doing steve
1: i'm in i'm still in the doghouse
0: Uh, that's all I know is that I mean, you're probably gonna be out there for the Lou Blaney Memorial this year, which I'm assuming you know Dave's gonna be definitely one of the guys entered into that race again. Bringing out that in the best part too again, is is it comes in this uh, number ten throwback scheme that throws back to his his dad, the late great Lou Blaney, and it's another victory that comes in that car, which is just an amazing throwback car in another win at Sharon speedway for him. And and one of the biggest things, and he's sporting that Ryan Blaney family foundation, uh, suit. So, uh, that kind of got splashed all over social media too. So that was cool to see.
1: Yeah. That's that fire suit looks really cool. Did you see Ryan text or messaged uh, on uh, Twitter? I think in the morning, and told him to remember to drive over the scales. Yes, yes, and, and that was really funny. <laughs> it was really funny beforehand without knowing what was going to happen that night. But uh, And then, the, you know, what the the guys on uh, on, on the broadcast uh, during qualifying actually mentioned it, too, which was really, really nice of him to do.
0: Yeah, and Clint Boyer talked about, you know, Dave being one of his teammates at RCR for a brief period of time there. And, you know, Clint's also another guy that came up through the dirt ranks, so I think he went more of the late model side of things. So. Uh, he has a lot of respect for Dave. Jeff Gordon raced against Dave in sprint cars when Jeff was also uh, moving up through the ranks, too. So both of those guys have raced with Dave, not only just in NASCAR, but also in the dirt racing world. The respect for Dave throughout the racing community is still incredibly high. And then obviously Ryan's taking things to new heights when it comes to uh, Blaney and the NASCAR career. It was just, I don't know, one of those things, one of those moments that was really, really cool to see. Um, really, really jealous of all of those Blaney fans that got to see it in person. And I think we'll leave you uh, with this segment with just a clip of those fans chanting uh, for Dave as he hopped out of his car after the race. This week in NASCAR history... Yes, we're back with another edition of This Week in NASCAR History. And as I go through these, you're going to notice that there is a pretty decent theme that happens. Not in every single one of these, but most of them are going to involve the World 600, the Coca-Cola 600, whatever you want to call it, depending on the year as I go through this. A lot of races that happened in This Week in NASCAR History all centers on that track there in Charlotte, North Carolina. Let's go back to 1953. May 30th, the One Mile Superspeedway in Raleigh, North Carolina joins NASCAR and presents a Memorial Day 300 miler. Fonty Flock comes from his 43rd starting position to win. Tim Flock falls to third in the final laps when he pits to remove Monkey Copilot. I've heard about this. Monkey Copilot Jocko Flocko from his car. Steve, I don't know if you've ever heard about this story, but uh, oh, Is that Tim- where the
1: monkeys in the car?
0: Yeah, Tim Flock had a monkey, and he had it in the car here for this 300-mile race at uh, the Super Speedway at Raleigh, North Carolina. Uh, yeah, so Jocko Flocko unfortunately didn't make it the distance uh, for this event. This week in NASCAR history, May 30th, 1976, David Pearson weaves his way through a crash with three laps to go and captures the World 600 for his fifth win of the season. The important note here is Janet Guthrie makes her NASCAR Winston Cup Grand National debut and she finishes 15th, which I think that's an incredible finish for anyone's. Debut, Let alone uh, one of the first female drivers at, to show up in NASCAR there in 1976, May of 1976 in the World 600. Moving on, May 25th and 26th, 1985, Daryl Waltrip passes Harry Gantt with two laps to go and wins the inaugural the Winston NASCAR All-Star Race at Charlotte Motor Speedway. Waltrip captures the World 600 the next day and pockets $290,733 for his back-to-back wins. Let's jump ahead to May 24th, 1992. Dale Earnhardt avoids the watchful eye of NASCAR officials. Good luck with that today, as he exceeds the 55 mile per hour speed limit down pit road for his final stop. Then outruns Ernie Irvin to win the Coca-Cola 600 at Charlotte. Earnhardt trails by more than three seconds entering the pit stop, but returns to the track 1.27 seconds ahead of the closest rival. Other contenders howl in protest after the race. And this, finally, our last date here for this week in NASCAR history. May 27, 2001, Jeff Burton ends a personal slump with a big victory in the Coca-Cola 600 at Lowe's Motor Speedway. Tony Stewart finishes third after his sixth-place effort in the Indianapolis 500. On the same day, Stewart completes all 1,100 miles of racing in a historic doubleheader
1: you brought that up i was thinking about that this week that uh, roger has basically bought the indycar series and and indianapolis motor speedway and and i would think at this point that he could do some things with scheduling and so on and so forth maybe to help a driver that would want to try and do it because it really comes down to and right now is scheduling is that these guys can't get from where they have to be to do the qualifying to that day, the day's logistics are actually easier anymore. They start the race early enough. They get done with the race early enough. They can get to Charlotte usually with no problems. The biggest problem is the qualifying part, is when qualifying is versus when NASCAR stuff is going on. And I really think that they should figure out a way to adjust that. And maybe Rogers got a driver or two that might be interested in doing that.
0: Yeah, and I think there's been a couple of guys out there. I think Kyle Busch, you know, his brother did it and did it pretty successfully as well. Uh, did that double I remember seeing the photos of him on the the airplane on the way over getting an IV getting prepped before he after he left Indianapolis and got into Charlotte uh, so I think Kyle Bush is one of those guys and then one of the other people they talk about all the time is Kyle Larson being another person you know that's a wheelman that can probably step into an Indy car and run well as well I don't know that I personally want to see Ryan doing anything like that I I really like the IndyCar series, and I like watching that series, and they've done a, a few things in recent years to try to beef up some of their safety, but that IndyCar's on an oval track at the speeds, you know, you know, 220 plus miles per hour... It just scares the crap out of me, and I don't know. <laughs> I think I like Ryan staying uh, within the, the safety of his four-fendered stock car, even though that those aren't necessarily foolproof safe. So um, I'm all for seeing somebody else try it out, but I think Ryan should stick with just trying to win the Coca-Cola 600. So that wraps up this edition of This Week in NASCAR History. Tune in again next week, and I'll take you on a trip through the history of NASCAR. Ryan Blaney, Weekend Preview. Charlotte Motor Speedway. All right, Steve. It's another big week in American motorsports. We just mentioned the Indianapolis 500 takes place this Sunday, but on the backside of that day is the Coca-Cola 600 Sunday, May 30th at Charlotte Motor Speedway. You can catch the race at 6 p.m. Eastern time on Fox, and then PRN gets the radio call, and you can also catch it on Sirius XM NASCAR Radio. The Coca-Cola 600, as you have to remember, is a four-stage race with stage breaks coming at lap 100, lap 200, lap 300, and the checkered flag falling at 400 laps, 600 miles. NASCAR's longest race of the season when it comes to distance and probably time. And it's one of those, you know, holdovers, one of those historic races, one of the crown jewel races where in years past you're seeing lots of cars with expired engines and various other things, you know, this kind of grueling man versus machine Uh, In the modern era, we're seeing fewer and fewer cars that are dropping out of this race. But what that turns into often is a pretty big strategy race. And um, one of those races that people look forward to every year um, just to watch it. I don't know if I can pull in that many hours of uh, NASCAR racing. I'm going to do it and uh, look forward to it. Now, if we're talking specifically about Ryan Blaney, let's take a look at his statistics at Charlotte Motor Speedway overall. And we're talking about the Oval here. Obviously, he's won at Charlotte, but on the Roval. Uh, But on the Oval, Ryan has made uh, 16. Wait, hold on. Ryan has made 10 starts at Charlotte Motor Speedway with an average finish of 19.4. He has an average start of 16. And in this case, we are going to have practice and qualifying again because it's one of those crown jewel events.
1: Yeah, the, um, this this is another proper weekend, as, as Josh put it, with all three series there. All three series are going to do some practice. All three series going to do their qualifying um, practice. So it'll be Friday night, 7 o'clock uh for the cup and the qualifying will be saturday morning at 11 o'clock for the uh for the uh for the cup series so they should um you know one practice one qualifying um when you brought up some of the some of the ryan's races at charlotte i actually we made it to the 600 uh back in uh, 2018.
0: oh and Uh, i just said that we don't really see engines expire too much and you're probably going to correct me on this one
1: (laughs) that's where yeah ryan had an engine issue uh, we were actually down in turn turn one facing facing the backstretch, and uh, yeah, his car ended up on fire, and he got it out of there really quick. Um, and as Josh, Josh told us uh, when we were talking to him about these different things, uh, Josh is trying to tell him what to do, where to go, and he's talking to nobody because Ryan got out of that car quicker than he's ever yep. seen anybody, anybody get out of that car. And we were very glad because, uh, yeah, it was on fire.
0: So here's one thing to mention. Um, I maybe didn't sound as excited as maybe I should have been when I'm going over Ryan's statistics for Charlotte. They actually ran Charlotte twice last year. It was one of the replacement races after they came back from the pandemic break. He finished third in that first race in the spring, finishes third again in the Coca-Cola 600 last year. Um, So, I mean, it it wasn't like, you know, he, he's been finishing in that 19th range, and then again, if you want to go back, going back to 2017, he finishes 8th. You get that 2018 race, he had that engine expire, so he finishes 36. That next race they come back to for the Coke 600 in 2019, he finishes 13th, and then again, 3rd and 3rd. So we're seeing a trend here where previously when he's with the Wood Brothers, he's finishing in the 20s, a 30th there. He did have a 14th going all the way back to his second start at Charlotte, but now we're seeing 8th, 13th, 3rd third progression of this number 12 team and maybe it makes this weekend one of those weekends where maybe he can come out of here with some strategy from Todd Gordon with some great pit stops from that crew and maybe be able to be there at the end and possibly take home one of these crown jewel events.
1: Yeah, last year's two races also you got to remember there was no qualifying so those starting positions were based on, you know, on the statistical thing that they did last year at that point and he started 26 he started 18th. Well, this week we're going to get an hour's worth of practice on Friday, and we're going to get a, a qualifying on Saturday. And uh, he qualifies that thing up in the top 10. He's not going to have very far to go to get to the front. And basically, at the, at the mile and a half, the word uh, that, that Todd usually asks early on is, how's the balance? And if he's asking that question, then the changes are going to be minor. And if the changes are minor, they got a shot to win it.
0: So I'm pretty excited for this race. One thing to note is that Ryan was in a body armor car this past weekend at Coda, and he, you know, tweeted out, you know, uh, a thing about that car, saying he was going to be in the body armor car. And then he said to look out for a special paint scheme that was going to happen this weekend for Charlotte. Steve, have you seen anything on that since that um, that tweet kind of came out?
1: They they released like that um, chart of the teams for the re- for the week and uh, body armor edge is what they're do, so they're going to do something with the new body armor product uh the caffeine uh product and uh yeah their colors are always cool to begin with so pro
0: tip here if you're looking to support ryan blaney and body armor and you want to buy it in bulk uh sam's club has been a wonder for that they have and they have everything they have cases of light which um i'm more of a fan of the light products that they have with body armor just because it's a lot less sugar and various things they have cases of this caffeine thing i know this sounds like a commercial but we're just trying to support uh, the sponsors here um they have cases of the regular kind they have cases of this new caffeine edge kind so if you want to buy body armor and you want to buy it in bulk i know when we go to races that's like, you know, one of the outside of regular water and uh, some a couple of other maybe adult bedr- beverages, we're packing, you know, bottles of body armor in there, too. And that's just one of those things that NASCAR fans do. I think we just actually try to get out there and support um, the sponsors that are supporting our favorite drivers. You know, when I'm going out to buy something for my car, I'm going to Advance Auto Parts at this point. When I'm trying <laughs> to buy, uh, you know, a sports drink or something like that, I've ditched Gatorade or Powerade at this point and I'm buying body armor. So I think it just shows you the importance of, of sponsors, you know, if I need to go paint my house, I'm probably going to look into what some PPG paints are, uh, just to, just to kind of see. So and that's one of those things that just happens. I don't know about you. I know you're you're a big enough fan of body armor to where at this point you've converted a hood uh, by hand and painted up your own, you know, body armor replica hood that you're hanging proudly in your garage. So I think I think you drink it a little bit too.
1: Yeah, I, you know, we're we, you know, we don't really worry about having a sponsor for this podcast, but if body armor wants to sponsor this <laughs> podcast, I have no problem with that. They don't have to pay us in money. Oh, uh, that's true. Want, that's right. If they want to give, pay us in product, I will read a body armor commercial five times during the podcast. That'd you be, know. Yeah. Fantastic. The, the, their material is great. They really do have great drinks. Great, great flavors. Uh, the light flavors are really, I think some of the better flavors that you can get. Uh, I, I know that some people like the blackout berry and stuff like that, but, yeah, there's, it's great. It's a great product to have, and uh, it's a great sponsor to have, and I really love how colorful the cars end up looking. He did that Kobe Bryant car, you know, um, with the purple and, 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 and the yellow. Um, they did one with the... The like graffiti
0: the one, right?
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and the pink and everything in it. So, yeah, I mean, they're, yeah. So, this weekend, I'm excited to see what they do with the design. You know, one-off uh, designs like that are really cool. They end up being great die-casts, too. I'm sure somebody will want, want a die-cast of it.
0: Yeah, so body armor the unofficial but hopefully someday maybe possibly official sponsor of the team plenty podcast uh at least when it comes to our you know trying to quench our thirst here so let's take a look back at the last several winners at charlotte motor speedway Going all the way back to that second race of 2020, Chase Elliott picked up the victory prior to that. Brad Keselowski went to victory lane in the Coca-Cola 600. Martin Truex Jr. took it to victory lane in 2019. Going back to 2018, Kyle Busch won. Back to 2017, Martin Truex Jr. won. And then 2017 is one of those races maybe people forget uh, when they're talking about Austin Dillon, but Austin Dillon won the Coca-Cola 600, putting another crown jewel in his pocket at that point. So... Um, We're seeing at least a couple of Team Penske when you go through this. Joey Logano picked up a victory in 2015 at Charlotte. Keselowski, I know there was a lot of strategy involved in that win last year, but again, uh, he picked up that victory there, so seeing some of these team Penske guys showing up on this list of winners at Charlotte motor speedway. And I think it's maybe this is the time when Ryan Blaney can pick up that victory as well. He's already has a victory one victory there on the Roval. Let's pick up a victory on the oval. And that could come this weekend in the Coca-Cola 600 Sunday, May 30th, Charlotte motor speedway, 6 PM Eastern time. Again, you can watch the race on Fox. You can listen to it on PRN. And you can hear that uh, broadcast as well on Sirius XM NASCAR radio. All right, Steve. I know we have one segment left in the show, but I kind of feel like I want to skip it. I'm not, I'm not really up for talking about fantasy this week.
1: You're going to disappoint some people.
0: I'm going to disappoint the millions and millions of Mez Twelve <laughs> fans <laughs> out there uh, for the Team Blaney NASCAR Fantasy Live League. So I guess we'll go ahead and do a recap this week. And the reason I want to skip it is that once again, our man Mez topped. The standings when it comes to the most points scored this weekend at Circuit of the Americas. Let me just first, before we go through our rosters, I'll take you through the top five points getters at this past weekend for the Team Blaine NASCAR Fantasy Live League. Again, Mez12 led the way in the first position with 255 points earned. Moon Cup was in second with 245. Glitterbugs was in third with 241. Vans 12 was in fourth. And Hamilton, nineteen forty, rounds out the top five with two hundred and thirty-eight points earned during this race. Again at Circuit of the Americas. Go ahead, take us through this award-winning, most points-getting roster that you had picked out here, and you uh, went the distance when it came to the bonus picks. And I think that's really what put you over the top.
1: That's that's what did it. I you know, um, some people will take the bonus picks and they'll split it and they'll try to pick something that'll hit one of the things and i go the other direction i'm like you know what i'm all in if if this guy wins then his team is the team to finish first and he'll be the first guy in, in uh in for that uh manufacturer so that's basically what i did i had chase Elliott winning i had chase Elliott top chevrolet i had joey as the top uh, Ford which ended up happening I had Kyle Busch as the top Toyota which ended up happening Chevrolet is the, the manufacturer Hendrick Motorsports is the team and uh, basically yeah that's, uh, that's how, how the, the main part of the points happened there
0: so impressive roster there uh, I know people are always trying to figuring out figure out what your strategy is, and so far, as far as I can tell, one, it's still going with all the big names when it comes to your main roster, and then, like you said, you don't hedge your bets. You go all in when it comes to those bonus picks, so when you hit it, you hit it, and I have to say, I did say, you know, I want to skip this, but I had probably my best NASCAR Fantasy Live week in maybe since the playoffs. Last season, I finished 11th in the standings for points earned this week at Circuit of the Americas, and I thought I had, a, I had a pretty decent starting lineup. I had Joey Logano, I had Tyler Reddick, William Byron, Chase Elliott, and Kyle Busch. All of those guys picked up some pretty decent points throughout the day uh, with... Uh, Chase Elliott obviously leading the way with 49 points earned for me in my starting lineup. I had Kyle Larson in the garage. He ended up getting 47 points, so I probably could have swapped him in for William Byron or Tyler Reddick or even Kyle Busch. He got you know fewer points than him, but I left him in the garage just thinking maybe I can save Kyle Larson for a day when he might pick up another victory. My bonus picks, I kind of split them here a little bit. I had Joey, Joey Logano as the race winner. That didn't work out for me. Chase won. I had Chase as a top Chevrolet. That did work out. I had Joey Logano as the top Ford. That did work out for me. I had Denny Hamlin as the top uh, Toyota, which I probably should have. You know, he had some transmission issues or he had some some sort of issues during uh, qualifying that maybe I, I, or practice, that maybe I should have thought about bringing him out of there but he ended up finishing i think the second toyota so not too bad i had chevrolet as the top manufacturer so that's my third bonus pick that was correct Um, but i did have team penske as the one winning so that didn't exactly work out for me but it did turn into i think 214 or so points scored this weekend um in nascar fantasy live so I don't know. Let's take a look at the overall league standings just to see. I mean, I don't want to scroll down too far just to see how how far I ended up here. But let's take a look at the top ten first. So this is the overall standings for the Team Blaney NASCAR Fantasy Live League. Moon Cup is leading the way with 2,800 points. Mez 12 is in second with 2,756. Just behind him is Doug zero Doug K0525. In 4th, we have Clyde's Chicken Pit Racing. In 5th, we have I'm a Winner. In 6th, we have Vans 12. In 7th, we have the Dalai Lama 4. In 8th, we have Blaney's Daisy. In ninth we have Glitter Bugs. And then rounding out the top 10, we have Rogue Tough with 2,580 points. And as I say all the time, I'm going to scroll down. Hey! Look at this guy jumping up, I think, 10 positions in the league. Me, Team Blaney admin, uh, 32nd position with 2,254 points. I don't know. I think I, I, I managed to, to jump up, I think, at least 10 spots out of the 40s. I'm not in the 40s anymore. That's exciting.
1: I didn't even look at the fantasy thing until after qualifying, just so your, so your wife knows. I <laughs> waited until like twelve thirty one o'clock before I actually did the lineup and i did it one time looked it over and that was it
0: i think our problem is is that for some reason whether we're out driving before the race because sometimes we out and run some run some errands and they get back home just before the race starts in this case we're in our backyard enjoying a pool day um before the race started and we're i often i mean i can't stop i listen you know, being totally honest, I listen to NASCAR content all week long on my trip to and from work with the radio and also listening to the some of the XM shows. So we're listening to Fantasy Racing Preview with Brendan and Pete Pistoni, and it messes with her every week because she's going in there, changing up her picks. She changes her picks up all the way up until the last minute, you know, before they're singing the national anthem before the races, though. Um, but, yeah, every week uh, she and others are wanting to know what your secret is, and I think you've kind of revealed it just a little bit there you are an all-in kind of guy, so go all-in. Don't hedge your bets. Go all-in, and sometimes you can hit big. So I mentioned some of these guys that uh, were past winners at Charlotte Motor Speedway out there on the Oval. You have the Truex. You have Keslowski, You have uh rating champion, uh, Chase Elliott. Logano's won there in the past. Martin, yeah. So again, is there anyone this week that you would see as kind of a lock pick uh, going into this weekend's Coca-Cola 600? Um,
1: you know, you just kind of going to go back to the last couple mile and a half that they run. I, I really feel that, once again, the Penske program is pretty good. Uh, and having a practice and having a qualifying on the mile and a half before they run the race, um, you know, it's interesting is all, the, all those times, um, when you watch practice on Friday, watch all the times at the beginning of practice and then watch them at the end and how close they start to get together. Where um, from first to 15th or 20th might only be a couple tenths instead of like a whole second. And, and, and that's what practice will do, is they'll take it where, okay, we might be a second off the leader at the beginning of practice, at the end of the practice, we're like two tenths off the leader. And that's 10 spots. And you know, qualifying will be like that. And then race-wise, the adjustments are gonna be so slight that a guy you know, makes the right adjustment, gets the nice green flag run, you know, and the Penske cars are really good at this. Um, I, I I really think Ryan or uh, or or Joey have the best shot to win this weekend.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. I don't, I don't. I think if you've kept Ryan out of your lineup the last few weeks, that this might be the week to bring it back in. A lot of momentum at this track, like finishing third twice last year out on the oval. Um, due to the fact that we have practice and qualifying again, one of the other drivers that I'm looking at that has a lot of momentum going in his direction which is a lot different from last year is the driver of that number 18 MMs cars Kyle Busch he went out and won the Xfinity race at circuit of the Americas he's won a cup race already this year which he hadn't done last year i think there's a lot of momentum uh, with that 18 car and he's dangerous when they have they have practice and he has the, the opportunity to to dial in that car with his crew chief so I would not be surprised if Kyle Busch goes to Victory Lane in the Coca-Cola 600 this year, obviously wishing that it's Ryan Blaney, but we'll have to wait and see until this Sunday Memorial Day weekend at the Coca-Cola 600 at Charlotte Motor Speedway. Steve, we had another full show with Ryan Race Reviews and News, Dave Blaney going to Victory Lane, so one of my favorite episodes that we've done thus far. Um, So I think it's time that we just close out the show. I uh, wanna thank everyone for tuning in to this episode of the Team Blaney Podcast. If you would like to learn more about myself or co-host Steve, just listen to our first episode that really dives deep into how we both became fans of the Blaney Racing family. If you'd like to interact with us, you can find Team Blaney on Twitter, at Team Blaney, and on Facebook at facebook.com slash Team Blaney. Don't forget to also download, rate, and subscribe to the Team Blaney Podcast on the Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, and all of your other favorite podcast apps. To close out the show, I want to remind you to check out the Ryan Blaney Family Foundation. This organization, established in 2018, supports causes that have closely impacted the Blaney family, including the Alzheimer's Association and UPMC Sports Medicine. You can find out more about the foundation on its website, ryanblaneyfamilyfoundation.org, or on Twitter at rbfamfoundation, and then finally on Facebook at facebook.com rb family foundation
1: don't forget the blaney bunch
0: yeah the blaney bunch if you're not involved in the fan club now is the time
1: join the blaney bunch with dave winning this weekend all the members of the blaney bunch are actually going to get a ten dollar gift card from uh, advanced auto parts so that's a good reason to join the blaney bunch you never know what surprise thing you're going to get in the mail
0: Lots of surprises, the merchandise has all gone out, you've got poker chips out there, you got your official fan club placard that's been sent out. Lots of exciting things happening and I can't wait to what else happens further on. Plus, if you join this Blaney Bunch fan club, you are supporting the Ryan Blaney Family Foundation. All of the proceeds are going to that and their partnerships out there that are trying to raise awareness for the Alzheimer's Association, and then also this partnership that they have with the UPMC Sports Medicine Concussion Program that we know in the past Dave Blaney himself has benefited from going through that, and the likes of Dale Jr. as well. So lots of great work that this foundation is doing, and as a bonus, you can join this fan club, donate to the foundation essentially, and get lots of cool perks and prizes and various other things that they're doing throughout the year. So, for my co-host Steve Mez, I'm Adam Rogers. We'll catch you next time on the Team Blaney Podcast.